John Donne once said, wheresoever I open the letters of Paul, I hear thunder, a thunder that rolls throughout the earth. People have been finding Paul's letters heavy weather for a long time. Indeed, 2 Peter 3 says, there are some things in Brother Paul's letters that are difficult to understand. Amen to that. And perhaps the most difficult portions of all Paul's letters to grasp, which have been the most debated parts of Paul's letters, are found right in the epicenter of the letter to the Romans, especially Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. So I'm going to walk you through those chapters. But before I do that, you need to understand that Romans 7 is not a new argument. It's a continuation of what Paul has been doing all throughout this document. We had a doctoral student here at Asbury who's just graduated, has his degree, named Brian Kidwell, who did a doctoral thesis on the Adamic imagery and stories undergirding the argument in Romans. And what he did is he traced from Romans 1 all the way to the end of Romans the influence of the thought of Adam and his sin uh, right on through all the way to the end. And uh, it was a very convincing uh, argument. What is undergirding the argument throughout Romans is our common humanity and the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, as Paul says in Romans 3. And that surface, that story of Adam surfaces in Romans 5, 12 through 21. And it is, if you will, the sort of light motif or theme music that's playing in the background in Romans 6 and into Romans 7. So what happens in Romans 7? Romans 7 is the most commented on portion of the Bible, the whole Bible, ever. There are more articles, monographs, and different points of view about Romans 7 than any other text in the Bible throughout the last 2,000 plus years of church history. So the first thing to tell you about is that if you have like seven commentaries on Romans, you may get seven different opinions about what Romans 7 is about. And one of the problems is that we don't read this document as we should rhetorically because that's how it's developed. So I need to tell you about a rhetorical device to start with. It's called impersonation, or another way to call it would be speech in character. That is when an oral presenter like Paul, a preacher like Paul, will assume the persona of someone else and speak in the first person as that person. That's what I would say is exactly what's going on in Romans 7, 7 through 13. The I in Romans 7, 7 through 13, uh, with present tense verbs, note, present tense verbs is not Paul. This is not Paul telling his autobiographical story. This is Adam, a character that the audience would have heard less than five minutes before in the recitation of Romans 5, 12 through 21. Now, why do I think Romans 7, 7 to 13 is not Paul, but Adam? Well, there are various clues in the text. Uh, the most important of which is that this I person says, I existed before there was ever a law. Well, now who's the only person who existed before God gave a commandment? Well, any Jew could answer that. That's Adam. That, that's the person. And um, then it talks about when, in fact, the commandment was given, thou shalt not covet, um, and he violated the commandment, 
He says, what happened is sin awoke and I died. See, now you have that connection between sin and what are the wages of sin? Death. And who was the first person to experience this? That would be Adam. So, what we have in Romans 7, 7 to 13 is a retelling of the story of Adam and how the fall happened in the first place. This is point number one. But what about Romans 7, 14 through 25? Now, this is the part, of course, that Luther most identified with, and the reason Luther most identified with it, because he had all these internal struggles, is because his Augustinian forebear, St. Augustine, thought that this was an exegesis of the troubled soul of a Christian wrestling with sin, something that he himself had struggled with. Um, I have to say, I think that's not an adequate reading of the text. And here's reason number one, it's not about Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about his past as a Pharisee. And he says, among other things, he says, I was a Jew among Jew, Pharisee among Pharisees, Hebrew among Hebrews. And then he says this, in regard to a righteousness that can be obtained from law-keeping, I was blameless. Hello. This doesn't sound like the Roman 7 person at all. Paul had a perfectly robust and healthy conscience about his behavior as a Pharisee. In fact, he says, I was advancing in Judaism far beyond many of my peers. He seems to have believed he did a good job of keeping the Mosaic law. So what is Romans 7, 14 through 25 about? Who is this person who says, I find myself at war with myself. There's a law in my mind that tells me the good thing I want to do, but when I want to do the right thing, something in me prevents me from doing it. This is a person who knows some of the truth, but cannot do the truth. He's caught between knowing and doing, and there is some kind of spiritual impediment in his life that prevents this. Is this Paul? Well, no. It's not Paul, and it's certainly not Christians in general either. It's all those who are in Adam and outside of Christ. This is a description of a fallen person, maybe at the point of conversion, struggling with sin. Now, how do we know this? Look at the context. I like to say a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. Right before this whole Adamic passage in Romans 7, 7 through 25, you have Romans 7, 5, and 6, which says we used to be that way, we were that way, but now we have been set free from the bondage to sin. And again, that is exactly the message of Romans 8, 1, and 2. When Paul wants to talk about Christians in Romans 8, uh, this is what he says. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Spirit has set us free from the bondage to sin and death. Contrast the person discussed in Romans 8, 1 and following, with the person in Romans 7, 7 to 25. This is the before, Romans 7 to 7 to 25. This is the after, Romans 8, 1 and following. So, to sum up, in Romans 7, we have the rhetorical device called impersonation. Paul speaks in the first person, but not as himself. This is not a biographical or autobiographical passage. He's, he's living into and speaking out of the character of Adam in 7, 7 through 13. 
and in 714 through 25, he is identifying with and speaking out of all those who are in Adam and outside of Christ. Now, of course, last thing, all of this is seen from a Christian point of view. This is not how Paul viewed the world when he was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. But since he has been in Christ, this is the way he views the lost world outside of Christ.